0: Welcome to Fresno's best podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Maddox. Today we have Dan Zack on the show. Dan is an urban planner in Fresno, California. In 2022, he founded Zach Urban Solutions, a consulting firm which offers a wide variety of urban planning services to cities, nonprofits, and developers who want proven, practical approaches to creating walkable, fun, and inclusive places. Prior to that, he spent 23 years in local government, working on downtown revitalization, streetscape projects, parking management, zoning and form-based codes, long-range plans, housing plans, and development entitlements. He spent seven and a half years with the City of Fresno. For that last year, he was the Assistant Director of Economic Development and was focused on bringing housing to downtown Fresno. For the remainder of his time there, he was Assistant Director of Planning and Development Department. His previous work was in Northern California. As the downtown development manager of the city of Redwood City in San Francisco Bay Area, he attracted the development of 2,500 homes in the area that had stagnated for decades, but which is now one of the most active downtowns in Silicon Valley. Please enjoy my conversation with Dan Zak, and Baker will take us there.
1: Politics, religion, culture, art, music, show some respect to the best. Little city left in the US, Fresno's best.
0: Fresno's best. All right, so um, Dan, where do you like to
1: eat in Fresno? Um, I I like to eat a lot of places. I'm a I'm a uh, wouldn't say I'm a foodie, but I definitely like food and and like eating. So um, I tend to prefer local places, you know, over bigger, you know, um, nationwide kind of places. One of my favorites is um, Libby Lula downtown. Nice. Which is a really great place. Um, um, you know, we have so many good Mexican food restaurants around Fresno. You know, um, my family and I, we like to go to Castillo's or places like that. Um, we live in Tower and, and we love to, uh, you know, um, hit up a lot of the local places there. Kuka's and Irene's and uh, me and Ed's is a, a, a longtime favorite as a, as a native Fresnan. So yeah, we, we, uh, um, I like to, to hit a variety and, and focus on local and I like unique and, and, um, and, uh, you know, that kind of stuff review is, uh, you know, one of my favorite coffee places. So yeah, those are the kinds of places I like.
0: What do you, what do you like to order at the review? We, I don't normally talk about coffee with people, so maybe let's lean into that for a second. So what what makes review the best coffee for you in town?
1: Um, well, it's, uh, a, it's a combination. It's a uh, killer location. You know, it's walking distance to me, which, um, you know, is a big plus. Yeah. Um, they've created a really good vibe in there. You know, mm-hmm. the, uh, the decor is nice. The way they use the space is really nice. Um, the, the service is great. You know, the owners are um, really cool local folks. Coffee is really good. Um, and, uh, I tend to, um, um, usually I, uh, I make, you know, uh, uh, straight coffee for myself in the morning. And then I, if, if I go to review or someplace like that, I get a, a foo-foo treat kind of coffee. So I like their mochas a lot, um, there that's typically what I get when I go there, but, um, yeah, fun, fun spot to just hang out, people watch, um, and, uh, and just kind of take in the city.
0: Yeah, that's one of the things when I moved here I was concerned about, you know, and I moved here almost 5 years ago now. Oh, uh, I right. was concerned about coffee. Uh, Because where I lived down south in Pasadena, I was pretty close to this place called Copa Vita, which I could walk to, which was wonderful. And also there's intelligentsia within a few blocks. So I was uh, spoiled beyond belief. Um, (laughs) But, you know, I've been thoroughly impressed since I've been here. I have lots of options. Um, I can go from high top to the review to some of the places downtown. And I think, you know, know, lots of people say degrading things about Fresno being a few years behind. But I think we're up to where everyone is in terms of coffee. And, you know, if you are... uh, Listening to this somehow in the Bay Area and considering moving to Fresno, I think coffee should not be on your list of concerns about the no, city. No, we
1: we do really well. Yeah, I I can walk to to uh, to High Top as well. Fulton Street Roasters downtown is awesome. Um, yeah, we we have a lot of really good. Really good options.
0: Mm, Absolutely. Um, So let's let's get right into it because there's a lot of things I want to talk about. Um, So we're talking about cities ultimately, Mm -hmm. um, with your background in urban planning. There's lots of topics that I could cover, and I've I've talked to a few other people on this podcast about cities, but we're going to really get a kind of the gritty now. Um, So let's just start with a simple definition. Um, You know some people would call fresno and manhattan a city but they seem like two totally different things so why are they both called cities
1: well um you know a city is where a lot of people come together to live work and play and fresno and manhattan are um you know different forms of that or different levels of that but they're both cities just like a uh, a fiat and a uh uh, you know, a Corvette are both cars, right? Um, just different kinds of cars. Um, you know, places like Fresno used to have more in common with Manhattan than maybe they do now. I mean, the, the picture I've got is my Zoom background here. That's Fresno in the 1930s. Um, and, uh, you know, you might believe that it's somewhere in Brooklyn or, or, or whatnot, um, you know, but we kind of thinned down our city. But it's still still a city. And, you know, people around here don't even realize how much of a city it is or, or, or how big of a city it is. Um, you know, we're the 34th biggest in the country out of 19000 cities that are incorporated in the U.S. I mean, we're the, you know, definitely in the top one percent in terms of size. So there are are a few that are bigger, but um, Fresno is definitely Definitely a city and, you know, cities are we often think of them as political units, right? We have a mayor and a city council that acts as the legislative branch of the government and, um, you know, so on and so forth. But um, really, first and foremost, a city is an economic thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they, they started as places of commerce, of, uh, as places of trade. You know, cities usually formed on on rivers, seaports later on, railroads and canals um, and um, later on streetcar lines, railroads, highways, um, that transportation, that access, that bringing people together to to conduct commerce um, and um, and and those sorts of things are really, really clutch. And then, you know, you build the political system, too manage that provide services to that police sewer water but that economic purpose is um really why they exist why people started congregating together um because of the, the the huge economic advantages and so um you know i think that's something we sometimes lose sight of you know we think about um um you know the other aspects of cities which are also really important the, the cultural exchange the social you know, um, networks and systems. Um, but that kind of economic framework makes all that possible, helps fi- fund and finance all of that. Um, and, um, and you know, is the reason that, that folks got together in the first place. And then, you know, if you do a city right, then you realize, hey, it's nice to have neighbors. And when we have so much of us together, we can support parks and schools and other things that make life worth living. But people wouldn't have congregated to begin with if it wasn't for that economic reason.
0: You know, and you said something there that I want to latch on to for a second, because the, the profession of an urban planner assumes that there is something to plan towards, uh, mm-hmm. something that is a good city versus a bad city. And, you know, or, or you know, there's something, you know, there's positive developments and negative developments. Um, and I think it's tricky, right? Because you have a bunch of different stakeholders in a community. Um, and so someone, for example, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, just living north of downtown in Fresno, might not have liked the 180 to come right through the middle of their neighborhood. And we'll talk about that in right. a second. But um, I just want to stick on, you know, how, how do you, given that there are different users that want different things out of a city, how does a planner decide what to do? What is the goal uh, that you're trying to achieve if you've got disparate interests?
1: That is the $64,000 question. I mean, mm-hmm. there's, there's a couple of different aspects to it. Um, the first thing you're constrained by is some things just work and some things don't work, right? If you're building a bridge, I mean, you might have somebody that desperately wants to make it out of paper towels for some reason, but that's not going to support people and vehicles going across the river and everyone will die. If, if you follow that desire right um um so uh so you have those sorts of of factors to deal with we just know if you lay out things in certain ways it's just not going to work and then there are other aspects of it where hey a is just as good as b is just as good as c it's just a matter of what you prefer right so so you know it's really tough for uh, planners um, traffic engineers, city council members, everybody involved in, in city making to, to kind of discern the difference, right? What is really foundational? We just can't mess around with this. And then what is just a matter of preference? The other part that's challenging is people you know, usually um, come at these conversations with a frame of reference, a point of view, a perspective mm-hmm. that's based on you know, their their background, their age, their life history, their profession, um, all of that. And they tend to confuse I want with everybody wants mm. and I need with everybody needs. And, you know, there are, you know, 530,000 people in Fresno and there are 530,000 different needs and for some people you know the last thing they care about is mass transit it's just it's not something that they need uh the factors in their lives for other folks um if they don't have good mass transit they can't get to work their whole situation is unsustainable they can't participate in the economy it's a big problem so a lot of folks that um have have one set of needs and desires assume that's universal if they have power or influence they use that power and influence maybe they think benevolently to you know perpetuate their needs and desires and from their perspective meanwhile leaving you know vast swaths of the population um out leaving their needs unaddressed and and they don't even know and so You know, Fresno is a really diverse city, not only, you know, ethnically and racially, which um, is really obvious to anybody who spends some time here, but also in terms of income ranges, professional, you know, backgrounds, ages, family composition. You know, I mean, this is a really eclectic place. And that's part of what I love about it. And yet what we build tends to just be for one one main group. Um, and uh, the, what we build transportation wise, housing wise, it's not as diverse as our population is. And, and so, you know, that's that's kind of a challenge. But, um, you know, to your point about, you know, how do you, you know, navigate all that, you know, folks who who um, have access to the system, who, who run for office or who influence those who run for office or even just show up to the neighborhood planning workshop. They often tend to leverage that access to, you know, accomplish, you know, what they want to see sometimes to the exclusion of others, maybe on purpose, maybe not even on purpose. They don't even know that, holy cow, we're leaving tons of people out if we don't have a bike lane on this street or if we don't have um, a bus stop. And and they, they might not even realize that, but, but they're leaving folks out because they have a whole different set of needs.
0: You know, I'm thinking about this uh, kind of in relation and this is kind of tangentially related, but it's related. I was because I've been I was listening to this long podcast about the Supreme Court recently and uh, talking about how there are these, you know, nine people that are, you know, kind of deciding a lot of, you know, how the world works. And, you know, I was thinking about that in context of, you know, someone like Robert Moses, for example, where kind (laughs) of his vision of the world then decides how everyone lives. And it you know, it almost seems like you really need to understand kind of the philosophical perspective of the urban planner. Uh, but is that something that's made explicit um, in urban planning to like, you know, thinking about a framework in which to look at a city? Or is it more like you go to a city and you see the different interests and you try to kind of, you know, get them to negotiate some kind of compromise between them? How how do, how do you look at it?
1: Yeah, you know, um, uh, you know m- most folks that, Study urban planning in school and intentionally set out on that as their career path. They, um, you know, they're aware of these issues and they care about doing it right. By and large, you know, they, it's not a career that you go into. You know, you can make a a, a good living at it, but you're not going to get rich being the neighborhood urban planner, right? Um, but um, it it can be fun work, and it you know usually folks that go into it um, really are in the cities and they want to make good ones. And, uh, you know, they want to help their community in, in some way or another, you know, by, by, you know, making, um, better public spaces, you know, and, and better cities to live in. Um, but what happens is those folks aren't the only ones involved in city planning and, and, and making cities. And so, um, you you get some folks in the field who just kind of end up there through, you know, happenstance. Oh, hey, I worked um, you know, as a um, you know, division manager in the uh the airports department or the public utilities department. And gosh, this Position open up in planning, I took it. And, you know, um, um, and, and so they're coming at it a little bit more of a, a, of a blank slate and maybe just someone that's good at public administration, but they hadn't studied the history of cities and the, you know, different schools of thought for urban design um, and, uh, you know, Houseman's makeover of Paris and all that. They, they, they come at it a little, little bit more fresh. But, but even more importantly, people um, like traffic engineers. Are heavily involved in city planning, even though they're not city planners in the in the sense that um, we think of it as a, a de- definitive um, profession. But they're shaping our streets, um, they're shaping um, you know um, our major commercial corridors, and you know influencing public safety in really dramatic ways. People who uh, don't consider themselves city planners, like the fire marshal. Have a massive impact on the the form of the city, right? I've seen really cool street designs that would improve pedestrian safety, bikeability. Squashed by someone because, well, you know, the outriggers for our fire truck won't fit. You know, um, if there's a car parked on the street, and so therefore, you you can't do this. And so the street is wider than it should be. People drive faster. Safety is harmed. But in 50 years, if there's a fire, that one moment will we'll <laughs> we'll, we'll be all set, right? So a lot of people who who shape cities and really practice city planning without even knowing it aren't city planners and don't have that training, that background, aren't guided by that that theory and, and those philosophies and that experience of, of all those different things. But you, know, you brought up Robert Moses, and that's interesting because- um, you know i think a lot of us modern city planners are paying for his sins um because he was he was probably the most powerful you know um you know city planner uh or or bureaucrat or or unelected you know public official that ever lived in the us And um, he did a couple of good things, especially early in his career with, you know, playgrounds during the Depression in in New York and whatnot. But by and large, what he did was um, was horrendous, racist, destructive and environmental catastrophe, public health catastrophe Um, and, um, and, uh, he, he was kind of unchecked. I mean, gosh, he went toe to toe with Franklin Roosevelt when, when Roosevelt was president and, um, Roosevelt couldn't stop him. LaGuardia couldn't stop him. I mean, you know, um, it's pretty impressive, uh, in, 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 uh, the sense that something so bad could be impressive, just what he was able to, to get away with. And, um, now your average city planner is, um, you know, really, reviewing a development application for compliance with the zoning ordinance and um, checking the boxes. Okay. Minimum setback 10 feet. Well, they're at 11. Okay. Check maximum height, 35 feet. Oh, they're clocking in at 28 feet. Check. Um, You know, we don't have a rule for, um, for, um, you know, trees, but gosh, I'm going to see if I can get a tree out of this guy. (laughs) And get the tree. It's just this huge victory. So uh, some people have uh, have a notion that planners are are all powerful, but um, you know, for better or for worse, the the days of Robert Moses and that level of power is over.
0: Well, and you know, there's. I mean, the truth is, someone's always going to make uh, a decision. There's always going to be someone choosing how a city develops. Mm-hmm. And do you want that to be a private developer? Do you want that to be uh, business interest? Do you like who do you want to make those decisions? Um, and it seems like you'd want the most neutral party possible that's trying to understand the needs of the community versus having some vested interest financially or whatever in how the outcome uh, goes. So let's go. Let's go ahead and jump into some uh, th- different concepts that I want to talk about. Um, and these are things that uh, are often controversial in the urban planning or city planning field. And I want to get your takes on them. So let's start with uh, the kind of the most controversial of them and why it's a problem, maybe, because we don't even have to pretend this is not. Uh, why is freeways cutting through a neighborhood a problem?
1: Oh, geez. Um, where do we start? It's it's an absolute disaster. Um I think the guy that invented the concept of the limited access highway or the freeway, as we know, his name was Norman Geddes, I think is is the name of the fellow. And um, his concept was that these roads, these freeways would connect cities but they wouldn't go through them. And that was never kind of the, the the intent behind the originators of the idea, you know and and to this day in a lot of Europe, for example, you know you travel, on the highways and um you're gonna you're gonna go visit um rotenberg in germany there's a rotenburg exit but that highway never goes actually through the city you get off and then you take a little two-lane road into the town um and the freeway never touches it in america who knows why? Maybe, um, you know, uh, a combination of our, our zeal for, you know, all things related to the car and as goes General Motors. So goes the nation. Um, some people think it was because of the, uh, the federal government covering 80 percent of the cost of the interstate system and cities just wanted to get those construction jobs. And so right. they offered themselves up to be gutted um, at the altar of these temporary construction jobs. Uh, But for whatever the reasons, some people, you know, um, um, you know, allege, and I think there's a lot of truth to this, that it was just purely racism. Um, Hey, if we drive a a highway through here, we can clear out this Mm. quote unquote slum that's been vexing us and displace all these folks. Um, But um, for whatever the reasons, it's probably a little bit of all of that.
0: Right. We did
1: it and we drove them right through and it was an, Unmitigated disaster of epic proportions. Um, which and let's let's go through we may the, never d- dig our way out of.
0: And let's go through the different freeways. Um, we'll start with I believe the oldest, which is the 41, um, right through the center of town. Now, before, and I know this because talking to older folks that used to drive to Yosemite, you'd have to drive through the city of Fresno to go through Yosemite, yeah. uh, which is Blackstone, right? What it what used to be the old 41. Yep. Um, and so of the freeways in town, it seems like that one maybe is the most useful uh, in terms of having a pathway to get uh, people through. Um, but uh, but I also don't know the history that well of the 41 and if what 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 was displaced there um, because there's a big gaping hole in the middle of our city. I mean, people don't think about the fact that that thing is deep, you know, relative to the elevation of the surrounding neighborhoods. Um, they cut a hole. Uh, so can you talk a little bit about the 41 maybe to start?
1: Sure. Well, you know, um, actually highway 99 was the first freeway to go through the city. Right. Right. Um, and so it started going through in the 1950s, um, severed West Fresno from downtown, created a big barrier, Mm. um, displaced a lot of folks in, you know, traditionally disadvantaged neighborhoods. Um, so that one was, um, was really rough. And we still feel the ramifications of it to this day. A, a lot of, you know, um, those neighborhoods suffer 41 came after that. It, it really picked up steam in the seventies. Um, and yeah, I remember being a kid, I'm, you know, um, a, a native Fresnan, grew up here left for 11 years and came back. So I'm a boomerang. And I remember growing up around here and, uh, every time we would drive over the um the um the 41 uh uh uh, the the shaw avenue bridge that goes over highway 41 my mom would say oh yeah my house was down there (laughs) (laughs) and so my part my mom part of her childhood was in a house um i think it was actually south of there um um you know behind what's now you know manchester center it was in that neighborhood but but Shaw had that great vantage point down into the trench of, of the highway. And she used to say, oh, yeah, and, and uh, yeah, they uh, we uh, we lost her. You know, the, the house came out for that freeway. And, you know, um, and so, yeah, as a young age, at a young age, I was aware of, you know, this concept of, oh, the highway came through something that was already there, displaced it, destroyed it. And, um, you know, it's interesting because, You know, you think of those folks that were displaced, you know, okay, eminent domain, we're going to buy your house, whether you want to sell it or not, freeway is going to come through, um, that it's just terrible for them right now. They've got to leave their home. Maybe they don't want to move. They love their neighborhood, their neighbors, their house, they've got to go. But in some ways, um, it's even worse for the people that are one house over and they stay and now their neighborhood, you know, their neighbors used to be, uh, you know, um, friendly family next door now their neighborhood is this big elevated highway that roars through at all hours of the day and night and and um you know um emits toxic fumes you know um you know just a couple of yards from your bedroom window and um you're cut off from the store that you used to like to walk to and and now it's a long drive to get to it and those barriers and your friends that are on the other side of the highway that used to be able to visit easily. Now that connection is, is cut off. And so, yeah, um, um, 41, you know, was developed right through a really densely built out established part of the city. And it had to, you know, if you've read the power, power broker about, you know, Robert Moses, he used to talk about taking the meat axe to neighborhoods and he kind of reveled in, you know, hacking his way through, um, and and for forty one, they had to hack their way through with the meat axe. That's for sure.
0: And then let's talk about. There's two more that I want to talk about. The one sixty eight. Um, I believe that's the most recent one. It is. Um, and um, what what is? Because it seems like it's interesting. The one sixty eight seems like it's more a benefit to Clovis than it is to Fresno necessarily. Um, and how did how did that come come to be?
1: Well, Fresno had. Um, A freeway plan on the books that pretty much resembles what we have now since the 50s. If you look at the 1950, I think it was 1954 general plan of Fresno and Clovis, believe it or not, in the 50s, Fresno and Clovis did their general planning together. So we had a joint general plan and it showed um, um, the, the four freeways that we have. Um, slightly different configuration, you know, one sixty eight actually um, connected to forty one at Shaw, okay, and and uh, which which was the surface street path that it used to follow. It used to follow Shaw Avenue as a surface street, and they mm. they envisioned the highway connecting about the same place, and it ended up connecting further south. To the 180, but um, yeah, it it was envisioned very early on, and um, you know the state came through. Did um, did uh, 180 41 came in the uh, in the 70s, and then really to get 180 and 168 uh, required um, a lot more local involvement, and so the Measure C um, transportation sales tax that was passed in what 1987 was really the last piece that gave local um highway uh, proponents the resources that they needed to to complete that system you know 40 years after it was originally envisioned and and they but they it's it's um funny you know it's hard to find a uh, vision that people will stick to for 40 or 50 years and see it all the way through and sadly that's the one that's the one that we stuck to
0: <laughs> yeah and then the 180 seems like it's cut through. I mean, I saw pictures before and after cut through some pretty historic homes and stuff in the middle of that area and kind of between tower and downtown. What yeah. exactly did it displace uh, when it was it put in? It um,
1: displaced a lot. Um, um, the uh, If you go to, uh, to um, Fresno State mm-hmm. behind Bulldog Stadium, there's Fraternity Row back there. And you'll notice this giant, gorgeous Queen Anne mansion out of place, you know, in this newer part of the city Um, that fraternity house used to be located on um, um, Fulton street, uh, south of Belmont, the profit home and Caltrans sold it to, um, to uh, um, a fraternity um, in the late eighties for a dollar. They sold a lot of homes Um, that they had eminent domain and um, some of them got moved out. Some of them just got demolished. And so, yeah, that's a really dense neighborhood and it just sliced right through again, that, that meat ax, they really had to hack their way through. So not only did you lose some really um, cool historic architecture, some really, you know, good housing stock, you know, nice, Small, you know, multifamily, you know, building types that are really popular these days, and provide a good, you know, we talk about the missing middle. Well, There was a lot of missing middle there in the Lowell neighborhood, bungalow courts and fourplexes, um, that that got um, that got removed, duplexes, triplexes, in um, the path of that freeway, as well some some nice mansions, um, and then also all those connections were severed. Now, you know, there's only a couple of streets that traverse, you know, Broadway um you know fulton van s um um you know uh there's only a couple san pablo that connect through there and all those other connections were were severed and so it totally changed the dynamic some people would say you know that was necessary but um you know i i might disagree but i don't think anybody could disagree that it didn't have a major impact on on that area
0: all right so one final thing on this freeway question which is if you had your magic wand and you could magically make one of those three freeways disappear obviously maybe not the 99 because it's kind of you know a, a big freeway that uh, traverses the state which makes sense but if you could make the 41 168 or 180 disappear and bring back the neighborhood that it displaced which one would you pick
1: yeah it just might be the 180
0: yeah because yeah, it just seems was... the least useful I, I don't know why why would you yeah. just what it I mean, displaced you know.
1: It's, it's not, I mean, they're all useful now because we built a system, uh, our whole city around them. And so, um, you know, did we need them when they were built? No. And if we had, I mean, geez, if you think about it, the city of Vancouver in Canada, really big, modern West Coast city, great quality of life, frequently ranked as one of the most livable cities on earth. They have no freeways within the city limits. So you can have a big, prosperous, nice to live in, you know, great to get around in kind of city. Um, That's mostly single family homes, by the way. I mean, everybody knows they're, they're big, um, you know, uh, glass towers downtown, but it's mainly, you know, built out like Fresno in a lot of ways and they don't need it. So you don't, we didn't have to build them, but, um, but we built ourselves around them. We eliminate all the other options. And so they are useful. It's hard for a lot of folks to even imagine, Um, being without them now but that's only because you know we kind of forced ourselves to need them and and so um so you know if you just yanked it out right now it would be a pretty big disruption until you reintroduced alternatives right and and walking and biking and public transit that that made it not so necessary. But having said that, we would have been better off if we never built it.
0: (laughs) Right. And I sometimes I'm at River Park, for example, and I need to get to the 99. I just drive down Herndon. You know, you just Mm -hmm. you just do what you have to do. Um, And sometimes sometimes when I'm in San Francisco, is it a giant pain in the ass to get across the city? Sometimes. Yes. Would I want to displace all of those amazing restaurants that I'm driving to? Probably not. But let's well, go on to the. Let's if go I, to the if next we could subject. just sorry, stick sorry. on this
1: point, I want to yeah, yeah, yeah. you know react to what you said because I think yeah. you brought up really the key point. And what is more important, making it easy to pass through or making a place worth being? Mm. What's more important, the convenience of the people passing through or the quality of life of the people you know living there? You have to balance that. Um, And obviously each one has to give a little bit in order to to balance all the different needs. But at the end of the day, if I, as a planner have to pick, okay, am I going to make this convenient for, you know, um, a thousand people a day to zip through, or am I going to make it a great place to live, do business, build the bonds of community um, and, um, and live, you know, healthy without, you know, all those fumes being emitted right by your front door. I'm going to pick the latter.
0: And people know that that's true, which is why if you look at home prices near freeways, they're cheaper because people don't want to live next to them. don't want to
1: live by. People
0: pay with their, you know, they speak with their dollars in terms of where they buy their houses. And so the people that are living close to the freeways are the ones that can't live further from them because they can't afford it, whatever. And so that is is the unspoken thing that no one talks
1: about. 100%. Well, and everybody talks about our love affair with the car uh, we, it's a, it's a, bit more of a love, hate thing. People yeah. love their car when they're in it, but the minute they're out of it, they don't want to see one. They don't want to hear one. They don't want to smell one. And so a lot of people who live very car dependent lives and who lobby for wider freeways and faster streets in their neighborhood, They advocate for their homeowners association to put in speed bumps and put in a gate and no cut through traffic. And they don't, they hate car. They don't know parking on the street because I don't even want to look at them. Right. But then the minute they leave the confines of their quiet gated community, they want the whole world to bend to their will and to be completely reshaped to facilitate their convenience. And then once they're out of the car again, they don't want to see them.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, people are are okay having, (laughs) they're being collateral damage for what they're doing, but they don't want to live near the collateral damage. Uh, So let's talk about the next uh, kind of uh, thing that led to some uh, planning disasters, which is uh, (laughs) low density zoning. What are your feelings on low density zoning?
1: Well, um, not everything needs to be super dense, but the way we blanketed our cities with these codes that basically outlawed um, you know, building types that had been popular and functional and useful for centuries. Uh, it was absolutely crazy. Um, but a lot of folks, you know, turn of the century through the 20s, 30s, they, they, you know, these reformers, they, they decided that, um, gosh, you know, the bucolic single family, you know, cabin in the woods kind of house is the only safe and sane way to live. And we have to use the the regulatory power of government to prohibit everything else, um, um, it really took hold and it was an absolute disaster. So yeah, there's nothing wrong with single-family homes. Um, There's nothing wrong with having some pockets that are mainly single-family homes. But the idea that an entire city would have nothing but low-density single-family development is an absolute disaster. And how many people do you know that have a single family now, but uh, home now, but when they were um, young people in college, they needed that apartment when they were, um, a, uh, young married couple, maybe they, uh, buying their first home, they couldn't afford the, the detached house. They needed a townhouse or they yeah. need, and
0: these things we're talking about are connected, right? Cause we're Absolutely. talking about freeways and we're talking about low density and these things are wedded to each other. Cause you need hundred percent.
1: Well, once you des- once you def- des- decide that the number one purpose in life is, um, auto mobility. Um, then what does density represent? Well, that represents if you've ripped out all of the mass transit and and you focused on freeway building, you decided, okay, everybody's going to drive. We're going to eliminate all the alternatives for whatever reason. Well, then what does density mean? More drivers per acre. Yep. Right? Um, But what density does for you is it means, hey, not everybody has to drive for everything that they do. My daughter walks to school. I walk to the coffee shop. I had a meeting at the pub, you know, yesterday I walked to it. Right. Um, Or maybe you drive shorter trips or every once in a while I ride my bicycle because I can do that. Right. So, um, instead of maybe 10 car trips a day, which is what the average household produces, maybe it's only two if you live in a denser situation, you know, Oh yeah, I have a, a, a trip to go to, uh, the uh to the office downtown or i have a car trip to get across town to the specialist doctor that obviously every neighborhood couldn't support one right um and then you know for things like getting some vegetables for dinner tonight uh, i walk for going to the coffee shop i ride my bike for you know whatever else um i take the bus and it and it's you know good convenient service and so i like that People Um, are resisting
0: it right now in COVID because they're ordering their groceries through the app and getting them delivered. And what that is, is saying, I don't want to get in my car and go out there and and drive on those freeways. I don't want to. And, you know, it's funny. I mean, you know, you think about Los Angeles. We're going to talk about public transit down there in a second. But, um, you know, I mean, that's that's why you don't want to live down there. You know, I mean, they become the reason not
1: to. Um, Well, and, you know, we insisted on, you know imposing this low density zoning everywhere, putting um, freeways everywhere. And yet what are the most popular tourist cities? It's the pockets where we didn't do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What are the, what are the, where are the most out of control housing prices? The pockets where we didn't do that. You know, we insisted on doing this. We say it's necessary. We say we love it. And then everybody's trying to crowd themselves into the few pockets that that um, d- didn't succumb to this, right? Um, and um, you know, everywhere used to be like that. I mean, look at this picture I have for my background, right? That was Fresno, and that's Fresno with forty thousand people, mm-hmm. and we're producing, you know, that level of foot traffic, supporting you know skyscrapers and streetcars um, with forty thousand people, little town in the middle of nowhere. Um, and, um, if we had just left it alone, <laughs> it would, it would, it would be wildly popular right now, but we insisted on ripping down every other building for parking, uh, tearing out the streetcars to make room for uh, more private vehicles. And and then we loathe our town and spend all of our vacation time in San Luis Obispo or Santa Barbara or Manhattan, where they didn't do all of
0: that. Right, we're our own worst enemies. Um, let's let's go to an, a section I call overrated versus underrated. I'm gonna throw a bunch of things at you. Okay. And you can tell me whether you think they're over or underrated. Okay. Uh, the appropriate way to not answer is just to say, maybe properly rated or or pass. Um, so we'll start with an easy one, uh, which is uh, protected bike lanes. Are they over or underrated?
1: Underrated. Why? One of the best things we could possibly do for our health, for convenience, for our air quality. Um, they, um, th- there's been a lot of uh, research that shows that when you put in a um, a regular bike lane, um, it doesn't attract a lot of riders. Um, but when you put in um, protected bike lanes, especially if there's a network of them and they go from useful place to useful place, um, ridership really goes way up. Safety for all road users goes up, including drivers. Mm. Um, and um, and there, there are huge benefits. Anything we can do um, in any city, but particularly Fresno, where our air quality is so rough, um, where, you know, um, traffic, violence, is so rough um uh, anything we can do to make it fun and convenient and safe for someone to hop on a bicycle uh we need to do it and you look at the the amazing amount the the billions that have been spent over decades building freeways and expressways and you know uh six lane major streets with half million dollar traffic signals every half mile um, and the 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 cost of a protected bike lane is an absolute pittance compared to all of that and the benefits are massive absolutely and you know what massive.
0: you know what makes me laugh every time i'm you know watching some local tv station and one of those don't burn you know keep our air quality good things comes on and i'm like yeah that's true but is that the main reason our air quality is bad because people are lighting their fireplaces <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it's almost comical. And I, you know, I understand, like, I don't want people burning a bunch of wood, all of us burning wood in our fireplaces. That's, I mean, you know, that's, there's no argument here, but to, to make that the reason, because that's what people in their nines now assume that the reason is because of those two things, those things are the causal, if that makes sense. Right,
1: exactly. But, you know, if you, like, we, 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 you know, we, we um, built our whole town around these cars. And then now, you 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 really can't function fully without them i mean i have a car i'd rather be car free but i also you know i'm not going to sacrifice my ability to make a living or you know get health care and all that so i have one against my will because i've kind of been social engineered into it right and there's yeah. you know a lot of people like that um and um and so um um but because we've all been kind of social, social engineered into it um now if you puts restrictions on it you're you're literally really putting people out you know you you're you're affecting people's ability to move conveniently through their city and um and get to their job and get to their services and so the real trick is okay how do we you know um de-emphasize the car and wean ourselves off of it at the same time we honor the fact that gosh not, not because of any inherent reason, but because of choices our predecessors make, you do need one in this town. And so how do we not make it too miserable um, uh, as we offer up all other alternatives and make walking, biking, and transit really great and kind of dial the car thing back gradually as we dial up the alternatives and then let people make new choices based on new alternatives and not uh, impede our ability to function as we Transition. I mean, that's the the real trick.
0: Yeah. All right. Next one: uh, electric scooters in cities like Lime. Over or underrated.
1: Um, you know, I don't know if they're overrated per se. Um, they're, uh, uh, I'll I'll say. I'll say they're overrated in this sense. Uh, A lot of people have a lot of hysteria about them and they freak out. Oh, my gosh, there's scooters, you know, on the sidewalk now. And where are Mm -hmm. all these things going? Guys, it's a cheap, quick, easy way to get around. Um, If someone in one of these scooters bumps you, you know, you're going to have a bruise. Worst case scenario. Meanwhile, there are cars everywhere. If a car hits you, you're dead or, Mm -hmm. or maimed. Um, and, uh, there for every scooter that's sitting on the sidewalk, we've got, you know, 40 cars parked at the curb, cluttering up, uh, you know, our city. So, um, the, um, the, the hysteria that some people have felt over these scooters, I think is, is a little overblown part of it's just because of how these companies rolled them out, which wasn't always very considerate, just dumping them. Right. (laughs) Um, and that wasn't cool, but in, in terms of, Hey, look, they don't take up much room at all. They're cheap clean way for people to get around let's let's not lose sight of um the fact that um th- this is not really that big of a deal let's just manage it a little bit better and and make these guys you know the companies behave a little bit better about how they disperse them and and just be cool about it
0: okay next one uh the book the death and life of great american cities over underrated
1: <laughs> you cannot overrate that book <laughs> have it- I have it right here.
0: <laughs> yes. Why, why isn't it? And so is it properly rated or is it underrated?
1: Um, uh, well, I think, you know, among a certain um, group of folks, it's properly rated. You know, a lot of folks really, um, you know, um, were inspired by it and, um, you know, got into urban planning or, or urban um, um, advocacy because of that um book and and they hold it in high esteem and i think that's you know how it should be held i think it's underrated in the sense that a lot of people just don't even know it exists haven't read it don't you know haven't um um, learned the the lessons that it offers and so probably at a societal level it's underrated but among um urban nerds like myself i think it's properly rated
0: okay next one Um... And this is this is one that I've, I've visited, and it's pretty amazing, but I'd like to hear your take. Uh, do you think the High Line in New York City is over or underrated?
1: You know, I haven't. I'm ashamed to say I haven't been to the High Line, uh, read all about it, seen a lot of uh, pictures and, and studied it, but haven't been to it. Um, what is it for
0: people that don't know what it is?
1: Um, So the High Line is a really interesting open space in uh, New York City, in the borough of Manhattan, where they took an abandoned elevated railroad um, and converted it into a a park, a linear park. And it, you know, rolls along, you know, what, 20, 30 feet above the street, uh, meanders between buildings and and um, uh, through neighborhoods and um, you know it seems like a really neat thing I don't know how um, broadly applicable you know the 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 high line is I mean building a new viaduct for the purpose of having an elevated park is probably not um, um, a smart thing to do or or anything but it was a really neat use of abandoned infrastructure that was there and a really kind of effective way to insert some cool open space into an underserved area so for that i salute them i don't think it's overrated i think it's it's kind of neat i think as um you know um the lessons it offers for you know um for for planners and folks wanting to introduce open space i don't think it offers a lot of lessons i think the real you know um the, the 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 mass quantities of open space that we should be creating are not on viaducts or rooftops it's it's on the ground in neighborhoods right um and um and so for that reason i think i guess if there is an overrated aspect to the high line it's the fact that I, I think it's really neat i'm glad they did it i'd like i'm looking forward to seeing it next time i go to new york but it's not something we can just roll out everywhere i think what we really need to be rolling out everywhere is parks on the ground in neighborhoods that are um um you know useful to to folks to uh, to walk to and enjoy on the ground
0: Okay. Next one is I've asked a lot of people this question and your answer matters a lot, which is, um, is me and Ed's pizza over or underrated?
1: Oh, I love me and Ed's man. Yeah. I, uh, I think it's properly rated. I think okay. it's properly rated. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I find it to be delicious, but I think a lot of the appeal too is nostalgia. You know, I remember going there after little league games and, you know, as, as a kid and, um, go there with my family and and they had, um, this really kitschy um but fun um, you know, uh uh design inside when uh I was a kid that uh, everything was kind of medieval England inspired, ye old um jukebox, ye old they had this signage over every ye old restrooms, ye old and uh very kitschy. How did they get amazing. rid of
0: that? That's amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it, there's um there's uh last time I went to the one on Clinton near Clinton in 99, Clinton and Weber. Mm-hmm. They, I, I was there probably three years ago and they still had it.
0: Okay, well, now I know what so, I'm doing uh, this That weekend. was one
1: of the only ones that hasn't been made over. But um, yeah, I, I'm a big me and Ed's fan. I have uh, had friends move here from other parts of the country and they're like, what in the hell is this trash? What do you guys <laughs> like? But I grew up on it. So for me, that's that's the classic
0: yeah it's your it's you know it's the it's your kid right you know it's it's yeah. you know you might look a little strange in middle school but you still love them um all <laughs> right. right next uh next one uh bike sharing programs over or underrated
1: oh i think bike sharing is great i wish we uh we had a uh, bike sharing program here in fresno um i helped uh get uh get a small one going um when I was working in the Bay Area and helped do a, the initial planning for where the stations would go and all that. It was a lot of fun. And um, yeah, they're great. It's a great way to help folks get on a bike without having to, um, you know, haul one on the bus or the train. Oh, at the bus stop, you can just get, get a uh, uh, one of these bike share bikes and, and go to the last mile to your destination. It can be um, really great city bike in New York has just has been revolutionary and and really popular and anything we can do to make it fun and convenient to um, to get on a bike and go, I think is good and anything we can do to get the numbers of bicyclists on the streets um, makes uh, you know, get those numbers up, it makes everybody safer. Um, You know, uh, the more bicyclists you have on the road, the safer each individual bicyclist is. And so anything that removes barriers and increases mm-hmm. access is good.
0: You know, and I think going back for a second to the the thing that you were saying before about protected bike lanes, I think a lot of people when they drive around town, and they see the number of cyclists, and then you bring up, you know, protected bike lanes, they say, well, there's not enough cyclists to support that. Why would we build something? But it's like, they won't
1: come out unless they know they're not going to get killed on Blackstone. Do do you decide to build a bridge based on the number of people swimming across the river? (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
0: There it is. That is the ultimate comeback. Thank you. (laughs) That's perfect. (laughs) I need, that one's going in the list. Um, Next one, uh, the Garden City uh, concept, over or underrated? Oh, uh,
1: totally overrated. Why? Totally overrated. Um, the idea of building a new town is not so bad. Um, but, um, you know, what old Ebenezer Howard did with his Garden City um, concept was, um, you know, the, the, the big problem with it was he was um, one of the pioneers of this idea that every use should be completely separated in the city. Um, and you know single families separated from multi family separated from shops and restaurants separated from workplaces um, and um, he really kind of uh, gave an, uh, an, an intellectual you know basis for that and and that you know manifested itself later as uh, low density single-use zoning which still dominates a lot of cities to this day so you know if he had just been saying hey you know let's Let's um, accommodate population growth by building new towns and let's make them not bedroom communities. Let's make them full service cities with workplaces and housing and shopping. And and and, uh, that that could have been cool. But the the uh, he designed these places that were um, that separated people by class. Separated uses forcing you to drive to everything because your neighborhood no longer had its own strip of shops because that all had to be sorted out into its own zone for health something, something. Um, and so for that reason, it, um, it 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 set a really bad precedent and we're still dealing with it today.
0: Okay, just a couple more. Uh, public transit in Los Angeles, over or underrated?
1: Um, well, you know, I mean, Obviously, L.A. is not a, um, um, a a transit city in the classic sense, like, you know, New York or Chicago. Um, um, but um, but I think it's probably, you know, even though it's not as good as L.A. deserves, it's probably underrated. You know, even if it's a five on a scale of one to ten, people probably consider it to be a two. Um, and, you know, I know a lot of people who ride the bus in LA or they're, they're lucky enough to live, you know, in a place where Metro is convenient for them to take and, and, um, and, and they like to ride transit in LA. So, you know, those folks deserve better. Um, but it's probably a little better than people give it credit for.
0: Yeah. All right. Um, last, oh, I guess I'm done with that section. Let's, let's talk now about, um, uh, private cities charter cities. Um, so these are interesting concepts that people are rolling out which is uh, to kind of create a city in the abstract and attempt to uh, you know manifest a kind of an, a utopic uh, ideal city um, and do you do you think there's uh, more opportunities here in experimenting like this or is it are they going to run into the same challenges in trying to create cities in the abstract that we have now?
1: Yeah. I, um, you know, my, my, big beef with those, um, is that, uh, you know, a lot of times this is all being done, um, by affluent folks who really want to exclude the other, you Mm -hmm. know, and, um, and, uh, I'm sorry, that's no way to build cities, you know? And so, you know, uh, we have rich folks. That's great. A complete city will include rich folks. We have lower income folks, and you know, um, a complete city will have space for them too. And and it should in, include everybody. So these these charter um, uh, or or uh, the I think uh, I've heard the term contract city used because um, they have no city staff. Everything is every service is provided by um, private contracts. Um, and um, yeah, they're residential only for the most part, and and very affluent only. And I think the the key to the future, whether we're building new places from scratch or we're improving existing places, they need to be complete cities and complete neighborhoods. You need to have every kind of living arrangement available. You know, mansions for folks that that uh, want that and can afford it you know, um, denser housing for folks that need it, places to work, places to play. And ideally, um, a lot of that stuff distributed out, um, in walking distance to, to where people are. Um, and, um, and you know, these, these, um, you know, charter cities, contract cities, they, they don't do that. And so, you know, the idea I think behind some of them at least seems to be, hey, let's just find a way not to share our money with um, those people, whoever those people are that they they consider to be undesirable. And let's find a way to kind of, really keep our resources here for only our enjoyment, even though a lot of these places are, are are part of a bigger metropolitan area and they benefit from the universities and the airports and the regional parks and in you know may, you know major job centers, but they don't want to contribute into that greater whole and all they want to try to find a way to keep as many of their, their resources in their neighborhood as possible and, and I'm, I'm not a big fan of that. Having said that, you know there's some folks, that have interesting ideas about cities, and you know, I like a lot of it. Like uh, you know, um, the whole strong towns movement. I don't know if you've seen them, and 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 I think sometimes they, um, you know, might overemphasize the idea of complete decentralization and almost you know as unplanned and organic and incremental as possible, which is which is great. A lot of great cities were built lot by lot. And five years after the one story building goes in, we're going to knock it down and build a three story. And 10 years later, we're going to knock it down because a streetcar line went in and we're going to build a 10 story. And that whole churning, constant change, that could be great too. But, um, you know, if you um, and and if I, you know, had one, you know, minor quibble with with Jane Jacobs, it would be, you know, um, she was probably in that camp. And I think Look, if you really love cities and you're looking out for everybody and all the the folks that are going to be served by a city and all the functions that a city needs, you could plan a place, you know, um, um, all at once and, and kind of, you know, master build it. Most people that master plan cities are just doing it for the affluent and for residential only, and it's car dependent. But those are just design choices that they've made, right? And you could master plan a neighborhood or a city with everybody in mind and and plan for them to walk and bike and 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 take the train, um, and and so and there might be benefits to doing that too. But that's typically not what what these contract cities are doing,
0: right? And I think we all have a very I mean everyone, you know everyone has someone that gave birth to them and everyone has someone in their life that's a really intense libertarian. So we all have that those two things. And, you know, I think um, it's easy to complain about city services, you know, and idealize something that would, you know, in theory work better. But I think exactly what you're saying, which is in order for cities to function, they have to meet a lot of people, different, a lot of different needs And that cannot be simple. It is inherently messy. And as soon as you, you know, as soon as you make it not messy, that means you're skipping over someone's needs. Right. And so I think that's the difficulty and that's, but, uh, but I think the other thing is, is that those same people that complain about services take for granted the things that benefit them. Right. They take for Mm -hmm. granted all the things that cities offer to them and just assume that that's just kind of the way of nature, you know, who, <laughs> the city benefits me and that's just how cities work. And then the things that don't work for them in the city are the things that need to be fixed by giving it over to private industry or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think yeah. it's complicated and I think I understand where people are coming from, but I think it's really just, a, you know, uh, what's, the, what's that concept of the common good, you know, understanding that in order to live in a city, you have to share. Yeah, um, and I think that's hard for a lot of people, and and I you know, I want to pivot to another subject, which is an interesting one, um, and it kind of comes after I uh, I thought about it a lot after I read a book. I'm not sure if you've read it. It came out during uh, COVID. Let me see when did it come out. I think it came out yeah. So it came out September 2021, um, and it's called "Survival of the City: Living and Thriving in the Age of Isolation." It's by uh, Edward Glazer and Oh. Um, So, and they were talking about thinking about cities in a a post-pandemic world. Um, And so I want to give you the floor to, you know, kind of use your crystal ball. Um, How do you think uh, COVID is going to affect the way our cities develop now that a lot of people are choosing to work remote?
1: Yeah, this thing, um, you know, hopefully it'll be over or at least manageable someday soon, but it's going to leave a mark you know, we're never going to be quite the same. I haven't read um, um, this book. I've read um, other works of Ed Glazer. I've read Triumph of the City, which is a great mm-hmm. book. Um, and I uh, read some of his academic research too, but uh, I haven't gotten to this book yet. I didn't even know he had a new one off to check it out. Pretty good. Um, but um, you know, I think um, COVID is going to, you know, uh, in some ways, you know, pe- cities are for people. People are people, with or without COVID. And and there's certain things, certain fundamental things that just aren't going to change, and they never have really changed. Um, but other things, you know, we're seeing pretty dramatic impacts. You know, I was just talking to someone who was in the financial district in San Francisco recently, right in the middle of the week, and they said it was just a shocking, you know, level of of quiet and just, you know, this place that used to be this buzzing so many people are still working remote right um so remote work is huge in some ways um it's uh, um, a big opportunity in the sense that you know this um kind of hub and spoke employment model that we had of okay, central business districts surrounded by the low density residential areas. and the most important you know transportation trip of the day is the c- private car going from the suburb into the central business district and everything has to kind of facilitate that. And now um, you know a lot of folks are home all day and you know now they're um, going for lunch in the neighborhood um, if if they don't just make lunch uh, at home. And, um, you know, there's um, benefits to having things closer by, Um, you know, the pandemic. So, so yeah, that's interesting. Um, And I think, you know, eventually um, a lot of office activity will come back, but some of it's never coming back. And, um, you know, um, you've seen a lot of uh, folks leave their jobs once they realized holy cow i can i can work from home maybe i can start my own business um and um and uh um so yeah i think um it'll come back to a certain extent but some of it never will and that's going to be a big change another change is in the retail side retail was already contracting and changing um and um you know being um stuck in at home in the pandemic and and some businesses being closed down completely for big periods of time, um, um, you know, really increased reliance on online shopping. And that took even more business away from an already, you know, struggling retail industry in the brick and mortar sense. So um, um, I think we're going to continue to um, feel um, feel those effects. Um, but, um, you know, I think, a lot of these changes give us an opportunity though to relook our cities and okay, well now this formerly busy strip mall is half empty. The anchor tenant moved out the, the little, um, burger shop and dry cleaner are struggling or, you know what, well, guess what we, maybe we don't need as much retail, but gosh, we need a ton of housing. Yeah. So how about we rezone that, that strip mall, for mixed use and it can have a little bit of retail and a bunch of housing added in. Mm -hmm. Um, and gosh, you pile in a bunch of restaurants, that burger joint and, um, you know, the other businesses might do better. Now they have a bunch of customers living upstairs. Mm -hmm. Um, and the whole thing could, could, uh, you know, work a little bit better and we could kind of kill two birds with one stone deal with overbuilt retail and underbuilt housing, um, uh, at the same time.
0: Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it really comes down to what people imagine a city is versus a, a city is just something that's meeting a need. Right. And if our need changes, the city needs to change.
1: Absolutely.
0: Um, so let's talk about Fresno. i just got a few more questions before we wrap up. Let's talk sure. about Fresno. I want to, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about one, uh, you know, city development thing you're excited about. And then one thing that you're worried
1: about. Mm. Um. Well, you know, um, I'm excited about um, you know the prospects for infill development um, to really gain prominence in Fresno. Um, A lot of work um, has been done over the last decade to kind of open up old zoning codes and allow mixed use development um in downtown and on certain transportation corridors like blackstone certain you know inner um you know neighborhoods like the tower district um and um and folks are slower than i i wish but are starting to make moves um in in that area and i think as um more folks try it and have success then other other projects will happen and i think um, you know, if we can um, build denser housing types and mixed use buildings in Tower District, on Blackstone, on Kings Canyon in Ventura, um, in downtown, in Chinatown, um, and revitalize those areas with extra activity, mm-hmm. um, bring more revenue and tax base into the city to help fund services because now this developed land is now better used. Um, and um, people have different living options um, available to them to meet different needs or different stages in their life, then I think that is is all good. That the, the the stuff that's been built now, it's not nearly enough, but it's been really popular and successful. Um, folks are kind of waking up to the fact that, oh, yeah, you can do this in Fresno, and some of those barriers have been removed, and someone will buy or rent it if you build it. Um, so uh, I, I think... Um, that is something that, you know, it's not a certainty that it's all going to work, but it could, there's indications that it, that it will. And if it does, um, Fresno is going to be better for it. Um, the thing that, uh, you know, um, worries me, I guess, is just the, you know, the, the, um, the prospect that will just not really change much and will just keep doing the same old thing expecting different results, and then we'll be shocked and upset when everything, you know, um, that uh, we, we lament about our communities stays the same. And, um, um, and uh, you know, um, we have water issues here, you know, and if the sprawl continues unbated, well, guess what? Sprawl uses more water than, than dense neighborhoods because of all of the lawns and landscaping. Um, you know, uh, our air quality won't get better. Because all that sprawl has to be, you know, driven to. Um, and so, um, you know, and, and all the people whose needs aren't currently being met won't, won't be met. And all the young people with cool ideas that leave right now for Portland and Minneapolis and New York will continue to leave because we didn't build neighborhoods for them that were cool and hip and walkable. Um, and so they went elsewhere to experience that lifestyle, so and and the people experiencing poverty here will still have to struggle with maintaining a fleet of cars if they want to, you know, um, participate in the economy and try to get by. And we don't have more livable, I mean, uh, affordable living arrangements available to them, and and so that makes it harder for them to uh, improve their their situation. So you know, I think um, we have really good opportunities and some good indications that things are starting to move that way. But I worry that we might just keep rambling on with uh without changing and and then we'll wonder why things didn't get better
0: two final questions uh first um if you'd offer a couple book recommendations they can be anything you're interested in obviously we've already talked about jane jacobs so maybe some others um and then finally uh what are you up to next i know you made a big move uh recently and so i'd love to share about uh where you were before we didn't really talk about what you were doing in your career but what 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 precipitated the big change
1: Sure. So um, start now with uh, with books. Yeah. um, um, Jane Jacobs, Death and Life of Great American Cities uh, is the book that inspired me to to be a city planner. Um, And it's still my my top favorite, Um, a more recent book that I really like um, and that I would recommend for anybody who's who's, you know, curious about cities, um, you know, uh, is interested in a, a career around it or just wants to be a better advocate you know, for things in their neighborhood is a book by uh, a fellow named Jeff Speck and it's called walkable city rules. Um, and, um, it's a richly illustrated book and it's just, it's, um, a very pragmatic, practical, do this, don't do this pictures of it. Um, and, um, explanations, a few examples Written in really accessible language, it's a really, really, um, really cool book. Um, and he used a map that I drew in there as a graphic in one of the one of the sections, but um, awesome. which uh, I didn't know until I bought the book. I opened it up and. Hey, there's my, there's my, um, my map. And so my copy, I met him at a conference and brought this to his attention. And so my copy is the only copy where I'm my, I have proper uh, credit given to me on the map, (laughs) but uh, he was cool about it, but um, it's uh, a really neat book. And um, uh, it just really strips it down to its essence and, um, and, uh, and, and, and makes it really accessible. And then if there was an out of print, fresno book that i would i would recommend to people you know i love local history i've got like all the as pop saw it you know pop yeah, of yeah, all yeah. books they're just so great and 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 probably one of my favorites i cherished all of them and i i kind of collect these things but there's one that i've got called um i don't know if you can see it here with my background but um it's called when fresno rode the rails it was put together in uh, in the 70s um and uh it's in 1973 i think and it's about the streetcar system that we used to have here in fresno and it you you go through it and it's just amazing not only great pictures of streetcars and all the neat you know neighborhoods that they serve but it really just drives home how urban and cosmopolitan fresno was in the in the teens 20s 30s how dense it was um and um and things that existed um, that, uh, that, uh, are long forgotten. And, uh, you know, we had 50 miles of streetcar tracks, wow. um, going, we had, we had a streetcar line, um, going all the way to the San Joaquin river through old fig up Forkner next to Van extension, all the way to scout Island where they had Fresno beach. Um, and, uh, I mean, these things were everywhere. They had plans to extend uh, an interurban line to Yosemite and another one to Monterey. The thing was so popular. And, um, you know, we uh, we um, we let it go. And it's a big shame. And it's really neat to, you know, you see this and you're like, wow, this was a real city. This is a you know, we can have cool things, a lot fewer of us back when we were much more isolated from the rest of the world, we could support all these neat things. Fresno could be really cool. Again, it's uh, you know a glimpse into the past and you know it shows possibilities for the future at the same time. It's a cool book. Awesome. And then in terms of uh, my big changes, yeah, at the um, beginning of the year, I took on a, a big new uh, professional adventure. So um, for the last seven and a half years, from June of 2014 up until uh, January 4th of 2022, I was assistant director with the city of Fresno. Most of that time was in the planning department. The last year was with the economic development department and um, um, 23 years in in uh, local government altogether. Um, and, um, uh, and I just started a consulting company, so um, I've decided to venture out on my own and Try to apply what I've learned to help, um, you know, cities, hopefully mainly here in the Fresno area, but I also want to do some work um, elsewhere to, to learn new things and see new places, um, but um, um, tr- ho- hopefully put that knowledge to work in, in more places and um, um, and in new ways. And um, so, yeah, I'm excited about it. I want to really help people make neighborhoods where you can walk, where you can ride your bike, where you can um, ride the bus, ride the train, um, and, uh, where we can, um, you know, really build places that are beautiful and that you fall in love with and, and that have a space for everybody and they're fair and equitable. Um, they don't leave folks out. Um, and, um, I'm excited to get to work.
0: That's awesome. And where can people find, uh, what you're working on, uh, your website and any other places?
1: Yeah, I have a, a, a blog that's been a little bit inactive, but I'm planning on getting it going again. And you could, uh, you know, read up, you know, kind of get into my head on, on these kinds of issues at plannerdan.com. Okay. Um, and then for my new company, which I'm calling Zach Urban Solutions, um, the website there is zachurban.com. Um, and so there I show the kinds of things I've worked on in the past and the kind of services I'm offering um, to cities and, and, you know, um, even though, um, you know, a lot of people have, um, you know, negative feelings about developers and, and a lot of that is not unwarranted. There's a few good ones out there that want to build, you know, equitable things and reinvest in, in neighborhoods that need it and, and build stuff that's sustainable. And, and for the folks out there that um, fit that description, I want to help them to figure out what would work on this site that I've got and how can we build something that makes the neighborhood better um, and, uh, um, and, and help them figure, figure those things out too. So, um, it yeah, doesn't help
0: urban.com. It, it doesn't help just demonizing all developers. Cause at the no. end of the day, we've got to, we've got, we've, you've got to work with people that different, have different interests with you. That's what totally. we've been talking about this whole time, which is cities take combined forces of people working together. Um, and so, you know, I think, um, one of the biggest challenges is getting everyone to the table sometimes. And so, um, you know, keeping things civil can definitely help us. And it starts by just assuming the, assuming the best, and you might be met with, you know, with a negative outcome, but at least you tried and it's, it's a valiant thing to do that.
1: Well, and, and, you know, if you think about, I mean, we, we can all think of the, uh, the, the terrible strip mall or, uh, you know, that, that, um, that we hate or the, the, you know, tacky subdivision that took out our favorite, you know, orchard that, you know, we, but, um, and kind of wrecked our town, but um, everything that you love in cities, you know, other than parks and schools that were built by, you know, um, public institutions, it was all built by developers too. Um, And so, uh, and, you know, I, I would be fine if we went to the Vienna model and, and uh, had public entities build, build everything, but that's not the system that we have. Um, And we're not going there anytime soon. So everything's, you know, that's not a library or a um, a, a town hall or a fire station is going to be built by a private developer, right? So um, how do we put that in the right place? How do we make it look great? How do we shape it to be as productive as possible and help as many people from different backgrounds as possible because it's going to happen? Yeah. And some people are so afraid of, oh, um, you know, I'm, 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 I'm worried about, you know, having the, the the bad developer come to my neighborhood. Well, you push them out and it's going to be auto-dependent sprawl in Madera County that's going to do nothing good <laughs> for the for the the inner um portions of Fresno. So how about we figure out a way to shape it in, into something really great that can um provide housing for everybody and and um you know um lower our need to drive and revitalize an area that's been neglected. So yeah, for there's there's only a f- couple of folks doing that but they are out there and and so uh, uh I'd like to help them too as well, as help cities fix clunky old zoning and envision, you know, how to bring back a neighborhood and 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 make it work better and and all of that stuff too.
0: Yeah. And I would say one more thing on where people should uh, follow you, which is your, uh, your Twitter feed is always uh, full of fun and exciting things. So that'd be the oh, last thanks. place uh, to follow you. What is your
1: Twitter handle again? Um, it's um, it's planner Dan Zach.
0: There you go. So that's the last place to, to follow him. So thanks again for doing this. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed the podcast and uh, it's been fun to be on and have this conversation. Fresno's best. all right thanks for
0: listening folks i hope you enjoyed today's conversation as always you can support this podcast by leaving us a rating and review or by making a financial contribution at our patreon page which is www.patreon.com slash fresnos best we'll see you next time